So I want to welcome our internet audience and our radio audience, uh, along with our guys here in Naples, Florida. Uh, and we have been praying for the past 15 minutes for uh, many, many different people. That's part of the responsibility that God gives us uh, to pray for people that are hurting. Uh, and that's what God expects Christian people to do, to pray, to reach out, to have a broken heart for those who are in need. So that's what we're going to do, and that's what we do every week. And I'm, I'm pleased that you're part of what we do here as well. We're going to study today a passage in Luke, Luke chapter uh, 14. Uh, and this is another amazing passage where Jesus is invited into the house of a Pharisee for dinner. Um, and so we're going to learn a lot about how Jesus thinks uh, and how Jesus evangelizes. It's it's very eye-opening. We've, we've been spending a good part of the year talking about how Jesus evangelizes, and this is an, another example. Jesus never turned down an invitation, uh, nothing that we can ever see. If he was invited into somebody's home, he generally almost universally went. Here we will speak to several groups of people at this house, um, and always with Jesus, he will be shockingly honest. You know, Jesus never worried about being politically correct, all right? Jesus spoke with uh, the words that God wanted him to speak, but he spoke it with love. And so first in this passage, he's going to speak uh, to this pseudo-spirituality of the Pharisees, the people that elevated the law. We are the children of the law. We are the chosen people, the children of Moses, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and who elevated the law and and uh, Jesus will talk about the flaw in their spirit, the flaw in their heart. We're elevating the law over the mercy of God and the love of God is wrong. And he's going to speak to us about that today as well. Then he's going to talk about how people uh, surround themselves in this setting, always seeking to elevate themselves, making sure that they have the places of honor, making sure that they are esteemed. And, and this is not the way God wants us to act. God is not looking for you to elevate yourself personally, all right? God is looking for us to humble ourselves, and he's going to speak about this uh, with a practical clarity. Uh, and then he's going to speak about what hospitality is about. What's true hospitality? How are you supposed to act in terms of the things that you have that God has given you? How are you supposed to use those things for the kingdom of God how does he want you to act? And again, it's going to be very clear, as Jesus always is. So if you would open your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 14. We'll read the passage, and then we'll go back and begin commenting on it. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful? to heal on the Sabbath or not. Uh, but they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. And by the way, they were testing Jesus. All right, this guy just wasn't one of the guests. They had brought him in purposely, as theologians believe, to test him, to see what Jesus would do. Uh, and it, isn't it amazing that who else could heal anybody of dropsy? Who else but Jesus, the Son of God himself, there it is, and they're sitting there waiting to trap him when God is sitting in their presence with the ability to heal. Where, where are we going, folks? 
where are we going? Is, is this the nature of how God wants us to speak in terms of, of the world? When someone can, who has the ability to heal and you're there trying to convict them? I'm, I'm, I'm just amazed. But this is the spirit then, and frankly, it's the spirit even today of legalism, honestly. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat, then humiliated, he will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. And they cannot repay you. You will be repaid of the resurrection of the righteous. And, and, uh, and so you see that. We'll stop right there at this point as we drill down in this message. So G Jesus is giving us three uh, prominent theological points that should direct the way we live. And the first one is the issue of legalism, and it's the Sabbath. Now, let's, I want to expand this for you so that you just don't drill down and say, well, I'm not worried about the Sabbath. I'm not a, a Sabbath worshiper. I don't put the Sabbath up in a place where, where I, I think that it affects my conduct. But it, the Sabbath was an issue for the Pharisees. Legalism permeates all of our lives today. And what do I mean by legalism? I mean that by enforcing a set of supposed rules and regulations of conduct as to what you believe Christians ought to live by, that that's the, that's the extent that God wants you to, to uh, treat other people. I grew up in a very legalistic environment. Uh, I was blessed to have a very righteous and holy people, but the, the uh, churches that we were affiliated with, uh, I, never, I couldn't go to the movies. I couldn't go to dances. I couldn't play cards, all right? Uh, I mean, I could go on and on. I, basically, by the time I was 12, I basically had learned that uh, if it was fun, it was a sin. Okay? And God delivered me from that. You see, God delivered me from that because what God basically drilled into my heart that it's not that conduct that determines whether you're serving God or not. It's your heart. Where is your heart? Uh, and I know my mother used to say, I remember when the Ten Commandments came out. It was 1958. I was nine years old. And the Ten Commandments came out, and a kid from my school came over to my house and wanted me to go with him to the Ten Commandments. And I pleaded with my mother. And she said, no, you can't go. I said, but it's the Ten Commandments. It's the Ten Commandments. Yes, she said, but if Jesus comes back, do you want him to find you in a movie theater? My son said to me, if Jesus comes back, I don't want him to find me in the shower either. 
I mean, do you see how how we we get ourselves twisted up? And then here's the point of this, folks. Do you think you're going to be in a position to bring people from the sidewalk into the, the kingdom of God by enforcing a set of legalistic standards? Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? And there's a whole plethora of people out there in the world um, who need to hear about God, and yet they may not conform to our, our standard, all right? They may not dress like us. They may not speak like us. They may not walk like us. Uh, and, and, and some of them, frankly, uh, don't have the same sexuality that we do. And we understand that that's not within the will of God, but are we supposed to be the legalistic enforcers? Or instead, do we embrace the world with love and bring them into the body of God? Because they'll never be changed on the sidewalk. They're only going to be changed inside the church. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, I hope you understand this. Uh, I mean, so you see this lesson here, and here we have the leaders, the religious elite, the very highest uh, uh, religious group in Israel, the Pharisees, setting Jesus up for a test. They bring this guy in uh, with dropsy, and I believe dropsy is, is pretty similar to uh, Parkinson's type disease today. And so they bring this guy in. Nobody could cure this guy. Nobody could cure this guy, and they just wanted to test Jesus and see if they can get him in some unscriptural teaching and discredit his ministry. So they're watching Jesus, testing him, engineering it effectively to see what he would do. Uh, and so here they are, the very testers of the law in Israel, watching critically. And so Jesus asks them a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Uh, and you notice that there's no reply. There's no reply because they knew. They knew that God would never say that you couldn't heal on the Sabbath. Of course, only God himself would heal on the Sabbath, all right? Because other people didn't have the authority to heal. Jesus had the authority to heal. And so here's Jesus saying this. And so remember this, Jesus took the Ten Commandments and distilled them to two. He did that because under, under as we serve the Lord, and the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ covers us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said there's only two commandments. Love, uh, serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. You live that, you have basically wrapped up all of the Ten Commandments in two things. Why? Because the commandments basically are imbued with the love of God. Legalism, the legality of the law is covered by, by the love of God. And what's happened to a lot of us and a lot of churches uh, is that they have forgotten the love of God. All right? They've, they've forgotten the love of God. They're very good at, at, at enforcing the commandments. They're very good uh, at enforcing uh, the law. They're very good at putting people out of the congregation that they believe are outside of the will of God, but they're not very good at dispensing the law, the love of God. And I hope that, that when we're here that we focus on this, the love of God, what it means to have the love of God uh, in your life, that you're not looking to be a fruit inspector, that you're not looking to see who is violating the law. You're, you're instead the kind of a person that wants to embrace the fallen, to help those who need help. Um, and, you know, we prayed before about people having anxiety. 
I want you to understand, you know, the world is full of people with anxiety. God is putting that on your heart to help those people. And so when I see this, and I was even discussing this uh, with my wife uh, when she was asking me what we were going to talk about today, uh, and, and I talk about the, these issues, and she said to me, you know, these issues, even as it relates to hospitality, which we'll get to, relate not just to poor people, but it relates to people who are suffering from depression, people that are unhappy, people that need encouragement, that need affirmation. And so when you're surrounded and you see people like that, God is asking you to seek them out, raise them up, and affirm them, and maybe even invite them to your house or invite them out. In other words, spend time in their lives. God wants you to spend time in the lives of these people, and that's what it's about. That's what Jesus is saying. So look, we, we, you know, we, we use the Pharisees and we talk about them because God has given them as a, as a check on us. Look, we don't want to be those kind of people. We don't want to be the kind of people that considers ourselves a religious elite. We are not the religious elite. There are no religious elite. There's one elite and he's in heaven. That's it. That's the only religious elite there is. The rest of us are saved by the grace of God. Saved by the grace of God. And we, and we need to know this. And so the Lord is fully aware here that some people remain critical of his work of healing. So he asked them that, this question uh, in chapter, in verse 5. Uh, which of you, having uh, a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? Now, can you imagine that you'd even have to pose a question like that? But that's where their head is. So if you had a, an ox or somebody in your family had fallen into a ditch, would you not pull them out? Well, you know, let's take a look at the law of Moses as you drill down and understand this. Turn to Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22, verse 1. If you see your brother's ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to him. If the brother does not live near you, or if you do not know who he is, take it home with you and keep it until he comes looking for it. Then give it back to him. Do, do the same if you find your brother's donkey or his cloak or anything he loses. Do not ignore it. If you see your brother's donkey or his horse, his ox has fallen on the road, do not ignore it. Help him to get to its feet. Uh, and what does this mean? First of all, I'll tell you what it, it shows me. It shows me the love's care, the, the Lord's care for animals. God cared for animals. Um, and in my Sunday uh, group, I'm, I'm teaching right now that uh, I believe in heaven, we're, we're focusing on heaven, I believe that when you get to heaven, your pets will be there waiting for you. All right? I very firmly believe this. All right? Uh, and why do I say it? Because of the love of God. Here God is loving and caring for animals, that they're in a ditch, that they need care. Pull them out of the ditch. You don't just ignore it, you take care of them. And there's other passages where, I, where, where we see this. This is the love of God permeating every aspect of our life. Uh, and so you see this here. There's no exceptions for this made for the Sabbath. Really. You know, the Sabbath basically was made for God. The Sabbath was made for God. And God was giving man a chance to focus on worshiping him. That's what it was about. It wasn't about to create all these man-made legalism requirements that you can do this and do that. But then the Jews went wild on this. You know, if you go to New York City today, 
the, the uh, one of the uh, one of the Old Testament requirements was that you could only travel a certain amount of, of uh, distance from your home uh, on the Sabbath. Okay, uh, and as they tried to find every way around that, you understand around it. Typically, what they were doing during those times is they would take a chair with them, and so they would walk the requisite distance, plop the chair down, and would say, "This is my abode." Then after a period of time, they'd get up and they'd walk another distance, plant it again. So you understand what I mean? This is a joke. It's not The heart isn't about worshiping God. It's not about taking the time to worship God. It's What it develops into is a way to get around the rules. How can we get around the rules? In New York City, uh, in some of the very Jewish areas, I know this for a fact because I've seen it, they actually string on the telephone poles uh, a cord, believe it or not. They string, and that represents in various blocks the distance that they can travel on the Sabbath. And I knew kids, guys that I had gone to law school with, who made a decent living on the Sabbath by going to some of these apartment houses and being and doing nothing but pressing the elevator buttons for people who were there, who were religious Jews, who did not believe they could even press a button on the Sabbath. No problem. I'll get I'll get some Gentile kid. I'm not pressing it. He's pressing it for me. You understand? Where are we going? Do you see Do you see really what happens? And you have to say, is this really within the will of God? Is this how God wants us to live? Instead, we, we, we look like we're looking for every possible excuse. And so God basically has told us to be merciful. Instead of focusing on, this, on the legalism of the Sabbath, have mercy and love. Look, here's a guy who's ill. He's sick. There's nobody else that's going to be able to heal him but Jesus, who is here with us. Let's see if we can trap him. Let's see if he'll actually try to heal him. Heal him. Oh, and Jesus nailed him. He understood exactly where their hearts was. Is there any prohibition to heal on the Sabbath? Well, of course, there was not. They could not respond. Uh, and, and, you know, this is not the first time that Jesus spoke about this issue. Uh, he also spoke about it in another passage in Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 6. And again, <laughs> you know, it's amazing how often this comes up. In fact, many theologians believe that one of the reasons that Jesus effectively was crucified is that he routinely healed people on the Sabbath. All right? And that they, it, it blew their minds. Uh, and they felt that he, he was treading... Uh, on their territory, and they were afraid that, that people would see this uh, and that they would have a different understanding of the law. Uh, and so this ultimately may have caused Jesus one of the reasons why he went to the cross. And we're talking now about Luke chapter 6, verse 1. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in, in their hands, and eat the kernels. Now, let me explain to you what this means. Under the Jewish law, they were instructed to keep the edges of their fields unharvested. Unharvested. That was actually in the law. And the reason for that is so that people who needed to eat, who were traveling, could actually take some of the harvest and eat some of the harvest. This is right actually in uh, the Mosaic Code. Uh, and so that's what's going on here. Here they are. They're, they're on a Sabbath. And they're walking, and of course, you know, that, that probably was a violation right there. But they needed to eat, 
And so as they needed to eat, they see these kernels on the side of the road. They take them uh, and, and effectively they husk them and they eat them. And so continuing on, some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Meaning what? Well, you were working. You're taking and working. You're working the kernel. Can you imagine? You're working the kernel. Um, and that's against the law. Uh, well, unfortunately for the Pharisees, Jesus is there. And he's going to disabuse them of their phony theology. Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Can I get an amen? God is the Lord of the Sabbath. Okay, you're not Lord of the Sabbath. You're not Lord of the law. God is Lord of the law. And so let's understand something here. God has given us the law so that we come to understand our need for a Savior. All right, our need for a Savior. And unless our lives are filled with the love of God and love of mercy, all right, the law is not going to take you to God. In many ways, it'll take you away from God. Uh, and so here, uh, Jesus is giving them the example of David. And we studied this several years ago, where David is being pursued by Saul. All right? And so as he's being pursued by Saul, they need to eat. There's no place for them to eat. So they go into the house of God, where there's the showbread, which is there for the priests. No one is supposed to eat it. And David took the showbread and ate it and gave it to his men in order so that they could have sustenance. And God honored that. Okay, so what seemingly, what seemingly was a violation of the law of God uh, was not under the mercy of God. And so God is teaching us today about that, about don't be tied to rules and regulations. Don't be tied to legalism. Don't walk around thinking that there's a certain code of conduct that has to be adhered to uh, in order for the kingdom of God to be advanced. Because if you do that, you will never bring people that do not know Jesus into the, into the kingdom of God. They don't know about rules and regulations. All right. Wouldn't it be better if you brought people in, let them hear the word of God and then let the Holy Spirit convict them about their conduct? Wouldn't that be the better way to handle it? Let God convict them. No, for us, we have to be the convicting agents. You are wrong. You are going to hell. You are outside of what God wants you to do. I don't, God, I don't believe that this is the role that God has given us. I don't believe that this is the role that, that God has given us. Uh, continuing on in that same chapter, on another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Oh, man. Oh, man. Lord, have mercy. How did Jesus not just destroy these people? Well, I guess that's me. That's not Jesus. That's why God would never put me in a responsibility like that, because there'd be a lot of corpses around. But you see the patience and love of Jesus. Here he is. He's in, he's in the synagogue. 
and he's advancing the kingdom of God. And all they can think about is, let's see if he heals this guy. Let's see if, imagine that. He's actually going to heal somebody. Yeah, we'll convict him. There'll be another reason why, why we have to destroy him. All right? Uh, and, and looking for a reason to accuse him. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. That's the thing about Jesus, you see. Jesus knows what you're thinking. So even if you think you haven't articulated, don't be concerned about the articulation because Jesus knows your heart. He knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking. Uh, and he said to the man with the, with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. The drama of this is amazing. You know, William, I know you're a filmmaker. Boy, this would be a great film when you see, you see the power of God uh, in evidence here, right there in front of all these people, all these negative people who want to do things to destroy God. And God just says, stand up right there. Stand up amongst all these Pharisees. Stand up with this shriveled hand. Can you just see it? Uh, and so the man stood up and then Jesus said to him, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Now, why do you think Jesus said that? He said that because he knew in their hearts they were looking to kill him. How do you like that? These Pharisees were looking in their hearts for a way to convict and kill Jesus on the Sabbath. And instead, they're worried about Jesus healing a man with a shriveled hand. Do you see what happens to us when we, we get so bound up in, in legalities and legalism? You see what happens? That we forget the mercy and love of God. There's no love. There's no love. How can there be love when all we're thinking about is let's kill this guy? He's got to go. How can we do to destroy him? And Jesus understood it. He, and, he, and, he, and he said it. I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? to save life or to destroy it. He looked around them all and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. I mean, really, Lord, have mercy on us. I mean, really. And so this is an example also how the world approaches this. You see this? Uh, when you don't have mercy and love in your heart, and when you get caught up in these legal requirements, you become blinded. Satan uses those things to blind you, and you walk further and further away from God, even when you think, well, we're, we're doing the right thing. We're enforcing the law. We're enforcing the legal requirements. People need to act a certain way according to standards, biblical standards, and yet none of those people would ever come into your church. None of those people would ever come into your midst. None of those people would ever call you a friend. Who is going to call you a friend? Somebody's going to call you a friend when you're the chief fruit inspector, when they know everything that they do is going to be inspected by you, and you're going to have comments. Nobody's going to want you as a friend. You think you're going to impact the life of the lost? Oh, let me tell you something. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. And so Jesus is teaching us this uh, in every aspect of his life. He's teaching us Uh God expects us to have mercy and love and care to go out to the sidewalks and see people that don't conform to the law, see people that are lost and embrace them in love and bring them in, 
bring them in, make them a part of the kingdom of God, and let God convict them with the Holy Spirit. Look, this, this, this resonates with me even now as I see the work that my son is doing with his church in Fort Lauderdale. You know that Fort Lauderdale has the second largest per capita population in the United States of gays, only after San Francisco. And so I believe God wanted my son to start a church there in that very dark area because God knew that these people had to hear the word of God, had to hear the word of God. Uh, and I'm going to give you a personal testimony uh, because now he's got a number of gay people that come to that church and my son preaches the word of God in an unvarnished way. Yet he loves these people. He embraces them. He wants them to be part of the kingdom of God. And about a year ago, uh, this uh, gay couple came to the church. And after they came to the church, and it was amazing because one of the people, who had a, uh, a, their family was missionaries. The father and mother of this gay man were missionaries. How about that? How about that? Uh, and so there they are. They come to the church. And after the church, they wrote a note to, to my son thanking them that they enjoyed the service. Uh, and they made it a point in the note to say, me and my partner enjoyed enjoyed being here. My partner and I enjoyed being here. Uh, and, we, you know, we thank you for uh, your hospitality. My son then picked up the phone and called him and said, we are glad you came. We hope you come again. We want you to feel that you can come here and be a part of the church. This man said to my son, we have visited 15 churches in Fort Lauderdale and not once did we ever hear back, even though I wrote notes to every single one of those churches. Not once. Why? Why? Because we want to enforce the legality of the law. All right? We want to keep them on the outside. They make us feel uncomfortable. We know what God is saying to you, get uncomfortable. You need to get uncomfortable. You need to get uncomfortable. I'm going to tell you right now, I would love it if, if uh, gay people came here, if people outside of what we do would come here. I would embrace them. I would be so happy that that's taking place because here they're going to hear the unvarnished word of God in love. I'm not going to be a fruit inspector, but I'm going to tell them what I think God wants to know in their life. But through the Holy Spirit, you understand? Through the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit convict Instead, so many of us feel like we have to be the convicting prosecutor. No, you don't. God has given you the instructions, love and have mercy. Uh, and so this becomes an important issue in how we live our lives. And so after Jesus has resolved, I mean, you've got to love Jesus. He's a guest in this house. This is a Pharisee's inviting Jesus. And I don't think he invited Jesus because he particularly wanted to spend time with Jesus. I think he invited Jesus because he was putting Jesus on display. What can we do? Let's see what we can do to, to drill down on this guy. And Jesus doesn't care. So after the Sabbath discussion is, is resolved, Jesus turns to another issue that explores the reality of your heart. And so as people begin to take their seats for the feast, Jesus watches how guests behave. How about that? Do you think God looks to see how you behave in your life when it comes time to display humility? You think he looks at that? You know, and here Jesus is thinking about these people coming in and looking to get into the place of honor. 
oh, where's the best place to be honored? I want that seat. I want to have the seat that, that honors. Uh, and, you know, everybody wants some, some amount of recognition and praise uh, and honor. We, we all have some, some innate desire to get that. But you see what happens here? God is saying to, to us, don't let these human characteristics overwhelm your life. One of the things that Jesus made a very big point about was to be humble, all right, to be a servant, to bow down. Don't look to advance yourself. Let God advance you. One of the things that, that you see in the kingdom of God is that the more you lower yourself down, the more you humble yourself, the more God raises you up. I've seen it time and time again. This is what God does. He elevates us even as we lower ourselves. So, you know, look to be a servant. Look to be a helper. Look to reach out to those that are lost. Don't look to get the best seat. Don't look to be the guy that's honored. Don't look to be the guy that everybody says, you're great, you are outstanding, you're brilliant. What would we do? Because God looks at our conduct. He looks at how we elevate ourselves. Jesus desires us to be aware of the inner life and to see the inner life of motivation as a battleground for being sanctified. Did you hear what I just said? Jesus looks at the inner life as an example of the ongoing act of sanctification. Day two. You understand? Day two. Now you're walking. You're carrying the cross of Christ. You're a disciple of Jesus. All right? Now as you walk with Jesus, all right, as you carry on on day two, God is looking to see if the ongoing act of sanctification, meaning, Lord, I submit my life to you. Lord, I humble myself to you. Lord, I will go and do what you want me to do. And in every aspect, as I do that, Lord, as I'm doing that, God is seeing the innermost part of your heart. Are you truly humble? Have you lowered yourself? Have you submitted yourself? Have you elevated other people uh, because you want to affirm them? Or, in fact, is it not the case? Even though you say you're in day two, but the reality of is that you still act like it's day one. Yes, you've been saved, but God has not begun the act of sanctification that takes a lifetime. And so Jesus is really speaking to us about this, uh, about how important it is in terms of our inner life, how what the world sees. Can you imagine if the world saw guys like us so completely sold out for Jesus that we would never seek honor for ourselves. We would never seek recognition for ourselves. But instead, we would seek constantly to honor others, to serve others, to bow before the throne of God. That is mirroring Jesus. This is what the world needs to see. Let me see Jesus in the mirror of your life. And God is saying this. He's warning us right here in this example. And so, you know, it's amazing how Jesus speaks out about this and talks about it. Uh, because it's important, and yet he does it in a way that's not insulting, but it's important, all right? Uh, this, this is so important. This parable is about daily human behavior, but it's also a fundamental principle of service in the kingdom of God, all right? Jesus urges us to be humble in our public behavior and even more humble in our hearts. When we serve God, we're humble in our characteristics of service, but even in our hearts, we're humble, all right? 
You don't want to be the kind of guy that says, oh, no, I'm, I'm a humble person, but keep telling me how good I am. I like it when you, when you say that, you know, but I'm, I'm humble. And somebody once said, as if you, the day you think you're humble is the day you're probably not. All right? That's probably the truth. The day you think you're humble is the day that you're not. Um, and Francis Schaeffer, uh, that great theologian, used to say, don't seek prominence or honor. Rather, let God extrude you to a place of prominence or honor. Oh, boy, does that say it all. You don't have to lift yourself up. I want to assure you this. You don't have to lift yourself up. I sometimes hear people saying to me in church, the church does not recognize my gifts. You know, they have me uh, exiled to being an usher or a greeter, but I have far greater gifts. Well, let me tell you something. If you have far greater gifts, don't worry about it, because God will raise those gifts up to the point where it cannot be denied. It cannot be denied. I'm reminded of when, when I started this, this Bible study in my home 12 years ago with Tom Lofgren. Uh, and as we started, in the beginning, we were in Tom's house. We eventually had to move it to my house. But uh, in the beginning, there were people, there were pastors from church who would come and sit in the Bible study. And one of them said to me, do you realize that there's a revival going on in your house? No, I didn't realize there was a revival. You understand? I didn't think of it as a revival. All I thought was I was serving God. I was serving God, doing what God wanted me to do, what he called me to do. I just bowed in submission. This is what he wanted me to do, and I did it. Uh, and as a result of that, even as God began to grow it and bring other people to it, which is the will of God, I never put an advertisement out. I never marketed it. It was solely about God because I had promised God early on, if it's your ministry, God, I will do nothing to advance it. You will do it. I will bow in submission to whatever you want. And I told you the story that I sent out 250 postcards when I first started and not one person came. Not one. Port Royal Men's Bible Study. Not one guy from Port Royal. Not one. All right? Why? Because God was saying to me, it's not about you, John. You understand? It's not about you. I know in this world you've marketed yourself. You've made a success of yourself. You're a hard worker, but not in the things of God, brother. All right? You're going to serve me. You're going to bow to me. It's about me. And you better learn that story and bow in submission. And so this is what God does. So there it is. He elevates what starts. And there from then, they, you know, they asked me if I would teach in the church. Uh, and I basically said no. I didn't want to. I'd had bad experiences in the church. Only when God prevailed on me that this was the will of God and I obeyed God in submission, then I went. Well, you, you know, the bottom line is today on Sunday, there's 550 people in two classes because of him, not because of me. And I'm not being phony. I want you to understand this is not phony humility. All right. Because I recognize the day that I begin to say, oh, you're good. You're good. Is the day God will take it away from me. You understand that? That's the day he will take it away from you. Because all of a sudden, then it will not be about him. It'll be about you. And the fastest way to lose whatever blessing that you got in your life will be the day that you start thinking about, oh, yeah, man, God is lucky to have me. Oh, he's lucky to have me. He's lucky to have me. And let me tell you something, you know, 
Don't ever think like that. Don't ever think like that. Just think about how blessed you are to be used by God in any capacity that he so deigns. And the more you walk with Christ, the more you're in the day to experience, what I'm saying will become a regular part of your life. You don't have to worry about being humble. Why? Because the humility is poured into your life because you see the cross of Jesus. That's what I see. I see Jesus on the cross. And I recognize that he's called me to do something. And I'm so blessed that he's honored me and given me this gift to do this for him, not about me. And so I'll walk looking at him, bowing to him, submitting to him, not in phony humility, but in the act of love. What can I do for you, God? You've done so much for me. He's done so much for each and every one of you. And so there it is. Now you understand how God wants you to live your life, the humility, the humble aspect of this poured into you because you see the cross of Christ. You see Jesus and you know what he gave you. He saved you forever. He's going to bring you to heaven. You're guaranteed. And you're going to be there with your mother and father who's also saved and your children and your family and this group of men who will be there in heaven. Hey, by the way, we're going to meet on Monday mornings in heaven. Mark it down, guys. We're going to meet on Monday mornings because we're going to love Jesus so much and we thank him for all he's done that all we want to do is serve him. Every day of, the, of your life, every hour that goes by, you, all you're going to think is, Lord, what can I do for you, Lord? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to say? And this is poured into your life. Day two, walking, walking, walking sanctifying, carrying the cross of Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the lessons and the words that you've given us today, Father. Lord, we are just honored as we see your life and the lessons that you've given us. And you've just instructed us so much about the danger of legalism. And in your day, it was the Sabbath. And today, it's a plethora of rules and regulations that permeate our worship and permeate our service to you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you haven't made us fruit inspectors, but instead have made us messengers of the gospel of Christ. Lord, I pray that each and every one of our men listens to this lesson, let it resonate in their heart. And this week we continue to walk in day two towards you, carrying your cross in humility and service. Be with our men, protect them this week and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.